You're listening to a sermon podcast for a time like this from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. We've now arrived on the fourth Sunday in Eastertide, sometimes called Good Shepherd Sunday, because the Gospel reading is always drawn from the tenth chapter of the Gospel according to John, which is rich with images of the shepherd and the flock. The lectionary also always twins that Gospel with the 23rd Psalm, so we have two biblical texts that speak of the Lord as shepherd, tends to strike us as a very warm image, of course, and even one that sits on the verge of sentimentality. Often paintings of Jesus as the good shepherd picture a very clean, very serene figure. Something Helen Lyons countered with this painting that sits at the foot of the communion table. Her shepherd has large, dirty, working hands, and there are smudges on his face. That image of a working shepherd better reflects a shepherd of that time, though it is true that shepherds were as likely to be young women and men even children, as they were to be grown men. Either way, your hands would get dirty. Shepherd imagery was not uncommon in the ancient Near East because sheep were an important part of that world's culture and economy. Kings were often said to be shepherds of their people, That was true both in Israel, but also in the other nations of the time. A shepherding king was to be one who took care of the people, sometimes as a warrior like King David. Though they might themselves wield a sword, those ancient kings also had power, wealth, prestige, and privilege. Sure, they might have been held up as great shepherds of their people, but they were not likely to have the dirt-stained hands of a real working shepherd. No, too often kings acted in ways that reflected the power they had come to enjoy, which we see again and again and again in the stories of the kings of Israel. And even at those key points in the life of King David himself, he falls for his own power, in a sense. Well, there's a marvelous text in the 17th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy that sets out what an Israelite king actually should look like. Looking ahead to the days when Israel would be well settled in the land, The text says that if they want a king, a king may indeed be appointed, but only under certain conditions. And so the text says, the king must not acquire many horses for himself, 
or return the people to Egypt in order to acquire more horses, since the Lord has said to you, you must never return that way again. The king must not acquire many wives for himself, or else his heart will turn away. Also silver and gold he must not acquire in great quantity for himself. Here, Walter Brueggemann points out that such a king is meant to function without accumulating massive military prestige, horses, or a harem, many wives, or wealth, silver and gold, which are the very things that make the throne a desirable place for many of those kings. If you take those away, who's left? What's left? Well, in the vision of the book of Deuteronomy, here's what's left. It goes, When the king has taken the throne of his kingdom, he shall have a copy of this law written for him in the presence of the Levitical priests. It shall remain with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, diligently observing all the words of this law and these statutes. In other words, the true Israelite king's role is to read and meditate on Torah, and to do that as the foundation of his authority as the ruler. If a king actually does that, he might just become the sort of shepherd that the nation really needed. Of course, with only very few exceptions, and not very complete exceptions at that, the kings of Israel didn't even come close to an ideal like that. So the prophet Ezekiel, writing from the very heart of captivity in Babylon, lays hold of the image of shepherd to account for the cost being paid by the nation for the failure of its kings. Ezekiel writes, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, you shepherds of Israel, by which he means the kings, and especially the kings of recent memory leading up to the exile. Ah, you shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the sheep. You have not strengthened the weak. You've not healed the sick. You've not bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strayed. You have not sought the loss. But with force and harshness, you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. It's a rather scathing indictment, isn't it? Israel scattered into exile because the kings failed to be their shepherds. And as Ezekiel continues, he says first that God will now be the shepherd of the sheep. God will seek them out, make them to lie down, ultimately call the herd to remove the corrupt. And secondly, Ezekiel proclaims in time, God will then set up over them one shepherd, God's servant David, and he shall feed them. David shall feed them and be their shepherd, 
Now, the historical David has, at this point, been dead for centuries. So the force here is really to point to a true and proper heir to David, a second David or even a son of David. Well, I'd like to suggest that Ezekiel might have been drawn to embrace the sort of imagery that Helen has offered us in her painting. Even if at first it might have surprised him to imagine a king with big, dirty, working hands, true shepherd hands. But I think he'd like the image. I'd also like to suggest that Jesus would have well known what Ezekiel had to say about the corrupt and complacent shepherds of Israel and about the promise of a new good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, he says here in John's account. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And here N.T. Wright comments, Throughout the last chapters, we have seen Jesus facing death threats. Now he declares that violent death is not just a dangerous possibility, it's his vocation. The sheep are facing danger. The shepherd will go out to meet it. And if necessary, the shepherd will take upon himself the fate that would otherwise befall the sheep. In Jesus' case, it was necessary, and he did. This shepherd king, this son of David, as he's called in other places in the Gospels, not only has shepherding dirt under his fingernails, but he also has scars on his hands. That's what it cost him to live into his calling to be the good shepherd that Israel has been longing for. And not just Israel, either. And here is where the vocation of Jesus departs from Ezekiel's vision of God as shepherd. Ezekiel's imagery has a very strong strand of culling the flock. I will judge between sheep and sheep, he writes, between rams and goats, between fat and lean. In order to flourish, this flock must be culled, it must be cleansed. Jesus, though, offers an audaciously expansive vision when he says, I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. Traditionally, this has often been read as marking the inclusion of the Gentiles, which is a fair interpretation as far as it goes. I appreciate, though, Maida Stamper's caution that, quote, the other sheep of John 10, 16, leave the door open to the readers, hearers of the gospel, and also warn against any kind of exclusive claim on the shepherd Jesus. Deciding who is in and who is out is really, this suggests, not the business of the sheep and is a mystery to them. We sheep folk are told only to cleave to Jesus, to love 
and to testify. I like that. We sheep folk are told only to cleave to Jesus, to love and to testify, and of course, to give thanks that our shepherd king has dirt under his fingernails and scars in his hands, because truly he is the great good shepherd of this oftentimes ragtag flock that we call his church. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church, including further resources during these days of the COVID-19 global pandemic, or to provide support for our online work, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. Thanks for listening.